The title of this lecture is Think Different. I really need everyone to participate as best as they can. What do you think would be the first question you would ask? Hold that thought for a second. Hold that thought. And then we want to see maybe how we can think differently when we have the example of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Now what do they do next? What do the Sahaba radiallahu anhum do next? And they hear the command of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And what is the first question they ask? Sahaba built different. This is powerful. But it's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to reveal the hearts of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum to the people. Above you being a man, above you being a woman, you're a Muslim. Above you being black, you're a Muslim. Above you being white, you're a Muslim. This is the secret people don't tell. They, it's oftentimes people don't understand it, they don't appreciate. No, I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I hope to make this um, lecture more of an interaction, interactive conversation rather than just a lecture. So uh, I really need everyone to participate as best as they can. So uh, I want to give you a scenario. You go to the masjid, it's Jum'ah. You know, obviously, a special day. And what makes it a little bit more special that day is that uh, there's uh, a little stall in the middle of the foyer of the masjid, Billy's Baklava. And they're giving away free baklava. How sweet, on Juma, giving away free baklava. And you feel so happy. You went, you prayed Juma, and now you have a baklava. You know, the little bit of the sauce is dripping down your uh, chin. And you're just so happy walking. All of a sudden, you get a tweet from the masjid. And the tweet says that these, that Billy's baklava, uh, there was a, it was tainted with a poison. What? Billy's baklava was tainted with a poison. And so you obviously start freaking out. It's okay. The cure for this, we know the cure, uh, you need to take this right away, is you just have to take uh, two tablets of vitamin D, okay? And then if you wanna, uh, and then come back to the masjid. Come to the masjid tonight, and we're going to update everybody about the situation, what happened, ask, you know, answer any of your questions, okay? You find somehow uh, in the medicine cabinet, two tablets of vitamin D, you come back to the masjid. Everyone's, you know, there's a lot of people gathered there, and the, the president of the masjid, you know, he dresses the audience and he says, Did everyone take the vitamin D, brothers? And you, he said, did you say D or B? You know, maybe you're, I'm getting it mixed up. And why do you sound like Elijah Muhammad? Because you didn't sound like that before. Uh, and so you say, no, no, it's, it's D, it's D. I said, okay, I took the vitamin D, alhamdulillah. What is the first question you're going to ask the masjid administration? What do you think would be the first question you would ask? Anyone? Okay, who did it? Yeah, maybe who did it? What else? Oh, will I be safe? That's a good one, right? Will I be safe that I took the antidote? You told me the antidote is vitamin D. It seems like a pretty, 
<laughs> you know, generic antidote, but, you know, I'll take your word for it. Go ahead. Yeah, how do you know about the poison antidote? What else do you think you're going to ask the administration? Sisters, in the back there. Okay, why, you know, maybe why was it poison, sister? Okay. Anyone else? Yes. How did you not recognize the poison? Okay, how did you not recognize the poison? So maybe, like, uh, would you ask maybe who is uh, responsible, you know, for this debacle? Would you maybe ask that? I'll give... There's so many young sisters. Give one sister. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You, no, no, you can't have another baklava. You can't ask for another. It's poison. I'm just joking with you, sister. So, uh, now, hold that thought for a second. Hold that thought. Okay, let's, let's hold that thought for a second. Okay. Because the title of this lecture is Think Different, right? So I just want you to think. I just wanted to put you in a scenario. Put yourself in that scenario. And I just want to see how we think. And then we want to see maybe how we can think differently um, when we have the example of uh, the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum. Sahaba, radiallahu anhum, they're gathered in the house of Abu Talha. And Anas ibn Malik, radiallahu anhu, as a young boy, is serving them alcohol. Okay, this is before the ayat. Uh, ayat of alcohol being prohibited was revealed, okay? So uh, you have great Sahabi there, like Ubay ibn Ka'ab uh, and, you know, Talha uh, ibn Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. You have some really, you know, powerful, big Sahabi in that gathering, drinking alcohol. Then what happens is somebody brings the news, Surah Al-Ma'idah, Ayah 90, that alcohol is prohibited. So, famous incident, people are throwing out their alcoholic containers, they stop drinking right away, they even go so far as to vomit out the alcohol that was in their bellies, like breaking the containers of alcohol, okay? Now, what do they do next? What do the Sahaba do next? They go to the masjid to hear the command from our Rasul Sallallahu himself, they go make ghusl, they get ready, they go to the masjid, and they hear the command of the Messenger of Allah And what is the first question they ask? What was the question? Yeah. I don't know the answer, but assuming if you put me in the spot, can I... No, no, no. I want you to know, I want, you to know uh, I want the answer of what the Sahaba said. Ask. What was the first question that they asked? Like you find out something is haram. What do people usually say? Uh, okay, what about 5% alcohol? Okay, I've, I've had a business, okay? And COVID really hurt this business. If I take the alcohol sales, you know, <laughs> what, you know, this is maybe some things that we would ask. Yes? No, no. Oh, so you're saying, why is it haram? You know, the Sahaba built different. Sama'na wa ta'na. Right? We listen and we obey. Not you, Amara, you know. <laughs> You know the answer because <laughs> you've been to the yes. Oh, what quantity? What is the minimum? Okay, my brothers and sisters, I want you to pay attention to this because we got to start thinking differently uh, if we're going to make some types of big changes. You know what the first thing they asked? The first, I want you to imagine this. They come. The first thing that they ask: What about our companions in faith who died while alcohol was in their belly? This is powerful. 
We say we love each other for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their concern is the akhirah, and their concern, what about our brothers in faith who died while alcohol was, there, was in their belly? Their love transcends time and space. They're not even alive. And they're concerned about their brothers in faith. Maybe when we come rushing back to the masjid, this is poison, you took the antidote. Maybe the first question we should ask, I took the antidote, are there any other Muslims that came to Jum'ah and took this baklava that haven't received this message? Maybe that should be our number one priority concern. Because my dear brothers and sisters, we talk about ikhwah, we talk about brotherhood, we talk about all of these different beautiful concepts. But, it's different when you practice it on the level that it should be practiced. And the example of that is with the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. Because in a few ayahs later, ayah 93, Allah ta'ala revealed that they're not held accountable for what they did in the past. But that could have been revealed at the same time as the ayah of prohibition. But it's as if Allah wanted to reveal the hearts of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum to the people. He wanted to reveal what type of people that they were, the type of care that they had for each other, and what they prioritized, what mattered to them. When we look at ourselves and our identities, oftentimes when we talk about brotherhood and we talk about um, some type of you know, nationalistic uh, ideas, Oftentimes, what do we do is we identify with people uh, within a particular uh, identity group. And that might not be necessarily bad in a sense. Like you could be proud to be Canadian. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Or you could be proud to be, uh, you know, Yemeni. Rasulullah uh, praised the people of Yemen. You know, you could be proud to be Somali. But where that becomes a problem is when that becomes the focus of your identity and your brotherhood and your unity. Even to something that can be deemed very praiseworthy. The concept of Ansar and Muhajirun is a good concept, right? To be called Ansar. Isn't that something good? Yes? Isn't that, if you were called amongst the Ansar, this is a good label to have. If you were called amongst the Muhajirun, is that a good uh, label to have. Yes? Yet, yet, Rasul sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he responded to the call of Ya Yuhal Ansar, like, oh, you know, come, oh, people of Ansar, and oh, come, people of Mahajarun, as a concept of Jahiliya. What was the context? There was a disagreement between a young boy from Ansar and a young boy from the Muhajirun. So we know Ansar and Muhajirun, the emigrants and the Ansar, they're good concepts. We praise them, you know, the, the Muhajirun, the Ansar. But when they got into a fight, they said, Oh Muhajirun, come to my aid. And the Ansar said, Come to my aid. And they almost caused a fitna, a fight between them. And the Messenger of Allah said, That was the call of Jahiliyyah. Because even above the Ansar and the Muhajirun, we are Muslim. 
Even above you being a Muslim man, you're like, we are all Muslim. Above you being a man, above you being a woman, you're a Muslim. Above you being black, you're a Muslim. Above you being white, you're a Muslim. These are all good. A, a man can be good if he has the qualities of Islam. A woman can be good if she has the qualities of Islam. That's what elevates and makes whatever identity you have something that is praiseworthy. Right? Courage, you could be courageous like those daredevils, like, you know, you know, flying off, like, you know, I've I seen like videos of people like parachuting off buildings and like flying and stuff. You know, it's like, wow, that's pretty courageous. You know what I mean? But what if you stand up to an oppressor for the sake of Allah You can't compare the level of courage. Even though that looks so cool and they have like 4K camera going you know, down across these buildings, man, that's crazy. But you look at that person standing up to an oppressor, that is courage under the context, under the guidance of Islam. And that elevates that quality of courage to something that is noble and that is praiseworthy. You know, when we talk about unity, when we talk about unity, some of the solutions that we put forth are really materialistic. They're really materialistic. What if we just, um, to bring people together, we need to fund more courses, more camps, we need to put funding into it, we just need organizational structures that bring everyone together. But it has to go deeper to that, because if your hearts aren't connected with each other, then it doesn't matter whatever material bribes you give, material incentives you give, you will not be able to bring people together. As Allah tells us in Surah Al-Anfal, Ayah 63, that if you had spent everything on the earth to bring the hearts together, you would not have been able to do so. But Allah brought the hearts together. Allah united the hearts. People of different you know, nationalities, background, all of that, united upon Tawheed. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. Subhanallah. That type of brotherhood, look at how the Sahaba practiced it. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq being a new Muslim, being a new Muslim, caring for his fellow Muslims that were downtrodden, that were slaves, he went around freeing slaves after just being Muslim. And Shaykh Adnan, he can explain to you that uh, you had this, in Ro especially within the, the Roman culture, but this was even in pre-Islamic culture as well, that when you freed a slave, you wanted to free the slaves, right, that could bring you the most benefit. Because it's almost like they're beholden to you, you freed me, so, you know, like if you free somebody who are strong, who are capable, they'll help you in your business, etc., etc. Right? You have this system of patronage, right? But what did Abu Bakr as-Siddiq do? He didn't want anything in return. When he went to Umayyah bin Khalaf to free Bilal, and they negotiated the price, okay, 40 pieces of gold. Umayyah ibn Khalaf said, you know, if you had offered me half of that, I would have accepted it. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq uh, responded, if you asked me double, I would have paid that. He freed Zanira, another slave. 
could do nothing for him. His father actually chastised him. The father of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq So why are you freeing all these people, spending all this money on these people that can't do anything for you? For the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're so miserly, seriously. We're so miserly. If you notice like something stressful on a brother, can you spend even two minutes of your time to see what's wrong with that person? What's troubling that brother? Can you make dua for them in their absence? Even though we know of the hadith that you make a dua for a brother in their absence, the malaika make dua for you, that same dua for you. The angels make that same dua for you. Can we spend a minute, like we were talking about dawah, can we spend a minute for the dawah? Can we spend an hour for the dawah? Can we give a few dollars for the dawah? The people that are working hard in this, can we give them some type of support? Some of the, I know so many du'at, and I know so many speakers, I know so many scholars, some of them, even my own teachers, burnt out because they give and they give and they give, and people take and they take and they take and they get burnt out. No one calls them to see how they're doing. No one calls, everyone has problems. Everyone has family problems, health problems, money problems. Everyone has those types of things. But you know the best satisfaction you have is when you give. Do you know that? The best satisfaction you have is when you give. I'll give you an example. Some of you may not have children, you may not be married and have children, but I'll, I'll tell you something. Who loves who more? Do the parents love the kids more or the kids love the parents more? Par parents love the kids more, right? Do the kids give more materially to the parents? Or are the parents giving more materially, especially in the early years, right? It's just give, 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 give. But the satisfaction you have from that love of giving, you can never get even back materially. You can't get back. We think, I need to take, can you help me with this? Can you do this for me? You know there's levels to this game of Iman. There's levels of this. There's levels of Iman. When you come to the understanding that when you give more than you aim to receive, you truly are more satisfied and satiated and nourished. This is the secret people don't tell, they, it's oftentimes people don't understand it, they don't appreciate. When you give more than you receive, that's actually better for you. That's actually more satiating for yourself. And so when we talk about, for example, you know, trying to unify people, we deal with a lot of egos. Right? We deal with a lot of different types of egos where people have more materialistic types of barriers to bring these hearts together. And that kind of stops us from coalescing and unifying on big issues that we need to address right away. Like the issue that he's talking about of people leaving Islam, this is a big issue. The issue of new people coming into Islam and we're not giving them enough support is a big issue. The issues geopolitically of Muslims dying on mass and being imprisoned on mass these are big issues why can't we coalesce why can't we unify on that you know out of uh, respect to uh, some of the histories on uh, the lectures on history sheikh adnan gave 
I want to share with you an incident in history. Because, uh, you know, sometimes we look at historical figures and we see the final accomplishments, but we don't see the steps that got there. And so we don't truly appreciate the, actually even the accomplishment itself. So everybody knows Salah al-Din Ayyubi, yes? Salah al-Din, like even non-Muslims, they know of Salah al-Din and they revere Salah al-Din, his character, right? Salah al-Din, like if you study the movement, you see that before they took back Jerusalem, they developed their human resources, their people, for years, for this moment, to take back Jerusalem. It didn't happen just overnight, oh, we're going to take back Jerusalem, or it was just like something happenstance. This was purposeful planning for years, even before Salah al-Din, with the efforts of Nur al-Din. And so, at a critical moment, his nephew, who is part of you know, this building of people, Taqi al-Din, he took an army to go conquer uh, areas in northern Africa, in Maghrib. You know, subhanAllah, I want you to think about this. Salah al-Din is planning, trying to unify everyone, bring everyone together and say, okay, we have this major cause of liberating Jerusalem. And just getting close to that critical moment, his nephew, Taqi al-Din, takes this army. I want you to hear this letter that Salah al-Din uh, wrote to his nephew. He says, no doubt the conquest of Maghrib is important. But the conquest of Jerusalem is more important and the benefit thereof is greater, as are the interests to be served thereby, both private and public. And then he goes on to say, if Taqi al-Din uh, takes our good men, and then he's referring to these people that they've trained and developed for years, then a lifetime spent in selecting these men will be wasted. If we conquer Jerusalem and the coast, we will easily acquire those other lands. Now, Taqi al-Din has a chance to go on his own, make his own mark. You know, do something ambitious. His career, think about what he, for his own individualistic, materialistic reasons, he could go on. But what happened? What did Taqi al-Din do? What do you think he did? He turned the army back around. SubhanAllah. He turned it back around. And they were able to join up with the rest of the army of Salah al-Din and they conquered Jerusalem. Because it wasn't about me, myself, and I. It was about us as an ummah. What could be a driving force for us to do this? And this was one of the other secret ingredients of the Sahaba. The driving force that made them think and look at the world differently was their connection to Akhirah. Was their connection to the hereafter. We need to have friends, we need to have companions that remind us about the hereafter, about death, about Jannah, about Nar. Because you operate on a different level when you always are reminded about the afterlife. It's not about, oh, become Muslim, you're going to be successful in this dunya. 
What was the deal that the Messenger of Allah made with the Ansar, Khazraj? You protect me, you're willing to give up everything for me. Your life, your, 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 as you protect your family, your children, uh, when you're busy, when you're free, when you're rich, when you're poor, you're everything. What was the deal? What, was it, what did the Sahaba um, hope to receive in return? Kingship? Was it like Khilafah? Was it the dunya? And then for that you will get Jannah. For that you will get paradise. Once, one of the students of Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu was, uh, was walking with his teacher. So Ata ibn Abu Rabia, he was walking with his teacher Abdullah ibn Abbas. And Ata, he uh, you know, was told by Abdullah ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, he says, do you want to see a woman from amongst the women of Jannah? Walking on earth. You want to see a woman from Jannah walking on earth? He says, yes. Oh, of course. See a woman from Jannah? He pointed to an older black woman. And he said, tell me, this, tell me her story. What's so special? Like, tell me what, what happened. He says, when she was young, she used to suffer from like these seizures, these fits. You know, some of the interpretations is like epilepsy. She used to have these seizures. And she went to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and she said, Ya Rasulullah, you know, I have these seizures and I become uncovered when I have these seizures. She says, can you make dua to Allah for me? Because you know, it's the dua of the Messenger وسلم, is accepted. Can you make dua? Because I have these seizures and I get uncovered. So the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, I can make dua for, to Allah to cure you of this or you can be patient and you can have Jannah what do you think what do you think she picked what do you think she picked Jannah but you know what I was thinking because you know when you look at it and you start thinking about scenarios put yourself in that position couldn't you say can't I have both right you could say that can't I have, can you uh, cure me of this? And, you know, uh, can I also have Jannah? But you know their mind, how it operated? When they looked at Jannah, as compared to this dunya, there was no comparison. It was like giving a person an offer. Listen, you can take food from this table, that's a buffet, your favorite foods, or you can take, you know, food from this table here, some stale bread. You're never gonna say, can I have both? Well, can I have both? You'd be like, what's wrong with you, man? Like, see the other, let me repeat the options again. <laughs> You're not gonna, because it's incomparable. You can't compare it. SubhanAllah, I want you to think about their mindset. Because when you really think about Jannah, like I want you to think about this dunya. What is your, Aman, what is your favorite fruit? Your most favorite fruit. fruit? Yeah, fruit. Most delicious favorite fruit. fruit. Pardon? Watermelon. watermelon? Yes? How about you, uh, Stad? You like watermelon? Um, I prefer uh, Pakistani mangoes. Mangoes. See, this is a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, too legit to quit. So, uh, 
so let's go with the mango because come on man like yeah <laughs> so <laughs> now you want to change your answer i forgot about the mangoes right so the mangoes right your favorite fruit you take one bite of that mango alhamdulillah tastes so good you take another bite great you have full mango i give you another mango Man, this is great. Give me another mango. I'll give you a third mango. So yeah, two is good, but okay, fine. I'll eat the third. Fourth, no, 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 it's okay, man. No, no, you got to eat it. It's your favorite. It's like, yeah, you're eating it. And you're like, man, why is this guy filling me with mango? I got mangoes coming in my ears, man. Right? You're like, I'm filled with mangoes. Right? Fifth mango. No, no, I'm good. I don't, I, I don't want any mangoes anymore. Okay? Sixth, I, I hate mangoes. Stop giving me mangoes. Why do you keep giving me mangoes? Seventh. Okay, this is, I hate this fruit now, mangoes. Subhanallah, this is the dunya. Your most favorite thing, your most pleasurable thing, you'll get tired of it. It's, you know, subhanallah, within a little, a bit of time, it's not the same anymore. That's why even for people who are drug addicts, they call it chasing the dragon, that first high that they got. They can never get that same first high, right? Subhanallah, Jannah. And this is the, this is the by the way, the... Characteristics of the children of Adam. Rasul said that if you gave the son of Adam a valley of gold, he would want another. And if you gave him another, he would want another. And nothing will satiate him, it will satisfy him until his mouth is full of dirt, until he hits the grave. Because, you know, if we try to please our desires in this dunya, you'll never be able to do it. You know why? Our home is in Jannah. Our home is in Jannah. You know, we talked about the theme, going home. Our home is in Jannah. Where can you actually get your desires fully satiated? In Jannah. Because no matter what pleasure you have in this dunya, there's a limit to it. There's some type of limit. Your favorite pleasure has a limit to it. Whereas in Jannah, a fruit that you eat, every bite has a different taste. Do you know that? Every time you take a bite, it's a different and better taste. So my dear brothers and sisters, you know, the, the lecture was just think different. I just wanted to open your eyes to a few different ways of thinking because our minds are sometimes conditioned to only look at what we can see or what's materially in front of us. But the way that the Sahaba, why they accomplished so much in this dunya, because their, their goal in their eyes, or their, uh, the, the prize was in here, on this dunya. It was in the akhirah. And if we can start doing that, then there's so many things in our deen that we can start prioritizing. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us amongst those that practice the Qur'an and the Sunnah like the Sahaba radiallahu anhum used to do. Jazamakhir. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.